Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is Jackie Lipinski. Hello, episode 215 with Samantha Matlock. What's your last name, Sam? It's going to be Kellenberger once I officially change it. Yeah, you got married last, what was it last week? Two, two weeks two ago. Two weeks ago. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Congratulations. Have Thank either you. one of you seen the Netflix show um, Married at First Sight, I think it's called? Mm-mm. No. Mm. Spoiler work? alert, don't skip ahead 30 <laughs> seconds if you don't want to know, but they, I think there's eight couples in the show. And my wife, whenever she watches any of these shows, which she makes me watch as I'm trying to fall asleep at night, only one of the couples is still together, but they have to get legally married before at like the first time they see each other, they're getting legally married. Then they spend eight weeks, go on a honeymoon and then spend seven weeks living together. And then they see who sticks together and who doesn't. One of the couples is still married and has a kid on the way. Everyone else is broken up. You like me to spend Shocker. seven years together and then get married. Just take the longest. <laughs> yeah. We were, it'll be almost 12 years. Yeah. 11 years. Yeah. Crazy. So, well, nice. Congratulations. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Congrats. All right. Story time. Let's get into it. Actually, um, I was talking to someone who's a big fan of the show and, and they're very happy. The fact that now our cover artwork, at least when it's posted on the pod on, on our website, and some places it'll be updated with the pictures of everyone who's on the show. Uh, Cause he's like, I love, I love everyone who comes on, but other than Jen Barkin, when we talk about a lady uh, being on the show, we're not sure who <laughs> they're talking <laughs> about. I was like, how's that pop? But you're not seeing everyone that I'm seeing. So yeah. Jack, thanks sense. Jackie Askies for, for tweaking all the designs. And yeah. that was uh, definitely a project. All right. Um, first up, let's uh, let's actually do Jackie first. And then we'll we'll pop over to Sam. Sure. Jackie, yeah. what do you got? I, I'm just actually coming off of Zonda's um, COVID-19 housing market update webinar with uh, Chief, Chief Economist um, Ali Wolf and uh, Tim Sullivan. So is that we're, definitely check it out. I think that's Kevin's approval of make sure. Yeah, I, I love both of those individuals. And honestly, um, Tim is going to come on the podcast, I, I think, in the near future. And Ali, at least they, they both... <laughs> If either one of you are listening, you both told me you would when I saw you in California last week. Um, but Tim is just a really incredible uh, combination of st- of stage presence um, and and personality and insight. Um, if you've ever just interacted with someone, you're like, I I I know what he's talking about or she's talking about, but it almost doesn't matter what they're talking about. Like the that sounds bad even like it, he's, he's saying relevant things, but he's, he's with his tone of voice and body language, he's, he's making sure you understand what the important parts are. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it as a, as a person in the audience watching him do his thing at the Builder 100, which is the second time I've been there. And the second time I've seen him MC. And then he did the, um, the nationals as well. Just an incredible individual to spend time around with, with tons of industry experience. And then Allie, is she's my favorite economist. Don't get mad at me, anyone else listening, but she's my favorite because she is always out there. There's a lot of economists who kind of go into the cave for two months at a time, and then they come out and say something, and then they go back in their cave. And Ivy's a little bit like that. Um, and obviously you can pay for their research, but Allie is on Twitter like every other day, dispensing what she's seen and hearing real time. She's doing all of these events 
kind of nonstop. And so um, I'm really excited to have her on. And, and I think she's just incredibly honest and fair in all the reporting that she does. So sorry to steal nope, your story yep, time, that, Jackie. I mean, but. that was the whole thing. It's just make sure you're having, I think we touched base on this a couple of podcasts ago, like make sure you're having multiple resources because I, I feel like I just took so much away from that presentation and just understanding. And, and I feel like I, I have three takeaways, but in actual, like, I feel like they might sound a little negative, but in the context of the situation, these, these, they're actually like positive and, and they have you, um, thinking, I think bigger picture in certain things. So, so just three of the tidbits that of the million amazing points they covered, um, was, uh, 90% of homeowners currently have a mortgage rate under 5%. And so how that's going to impact how people move or think. I think it's a big deal. The April data in the last two weeks, we've been hearing the same exact thing, builders, cancellation rates, um, online sales, appointment cancellation rates, um, what's going on. And so uh, for April, so it was 35% and last year it was 9%. And Kevin, you were saying that the, yeah. And an average home cancellation rate should be between is on average in the yeah, it's it's about how aggressive you want to be as an organization. But I've worked for home building companies where, uh, that, you know, they wanted it to be like five to 10%. Some were okay. Uh, when I worked from the, uh, Miranda at the time in 2003 to 2007, our primary target was first time buyers. And so it was all about pushing and being aggressive. And then if they wash out in financing, it's okay. Like if they truly can't afford it, but if they're on the line, write the contract and let financing tell them they can't. So a lot of it has to do with kind of culturally where the builder is, but you know, between five and and fifteen to twenty percent is kind of typical. Um, again, varying by organization. So thirty five is definitely higher, and that is something that we've started hearing a little bit of on our calls with builders. Uh, one story from from a builder in the Virginia market. the The sales manager got a call from a customer who had been told they were being delayed by like another couple months, and they asked for the builder to pay the cost of an extended rate lock. And the sales manager, I think, said, no, that's not, just not what we do. I, I mean, obviously, he said something more compassionate. I, I am, <laughs> and I was like, no, we, we're not going to do anything. Customer says, well, then I'll, I'll need to cancel my agreement. Goes to talk to the owners about the fact that the cancellation will be coming soon. And the owner's like, mm, we'll do that rate lock. He's like, what? We don't, we don't do that. We don't do that. Well, and their words were, the winds are changing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're going to save deals and that remember two years ago, uh, March 2020, that was the all, everything that that Mike and I were talking about with our webinars with NHB was saving a sale is as important as getting a sale at times. And we're definitely hearing more stories about negotiations happening uh, to save sa- save sales that are already in backlog. I think the next shoe to drop is negotiations to get sales that are not advertised or talked about, but um, just small negotiations. Again, mostly what we're hearing. And I think Allie said the same thing, and I agree with her. Most of the concessions that are being um, increased or changed go around using a preferred lender, which that's not really the same thing as when we think about like $10,000 off a home or uh, uh, free upgrades for just any any reason whatsoever. Tying something to preferred lender or closing closing costs, that, that's a little bit, little bit different than like discounting mm-hmm. uh, something. But it, it is elevated. Yeah, definitely. And that that's the third point I have here. Um, just the, they noted and and the summary was the market is shifting. It's really important. I know we're saying too, it's to re-benchmark your potential buyers and your interest uh, rates because the market is moving so fast that the people in your um, your lead 
CRM system for the last four months, you know, we don't know, maybe, you know, that half of those people aren't even qualified anymore. So you just have to keep doing your, um, your prospecting, cleaning up those lists, giving more people information, following up with them and finding that. And then I think your story time kind of rolls into that, Sam, in terms of reaching out to interest yeah. lists. So earlier this week, I was talking with a builder who had a dusty shoe tour last weekend, which was Mother's Day weekend. And apparently nobody showed up. So I was talking to the marketing manager and I was like, well, what kind of communication was sent out to the interest list? And they had the sales agent cold calling the 19 people on their priority list when they have an interest list of 700 people, more than 700 people for 14 homes. So I was just kind of mind boggling. I'm like, why didn't you guys send an e-blast? You're cold calling people. I'm not going to answer a call when it's an unknown number. Like, and it's Mother's Day weekend, so it's just kind of confusing that they want to. Yeah, confusing on multiple points. Why only nineteen? And that and that's because they were on a on a higher priority list of being pre qualified or getting some money or some qualification level. But there were seven hundred people on the total interest list, and that goes back to what we've talked about. I feel like for the last year and a half is the numbers on that list mean nothing in today's in today's market. So the the danger not that long ago was, well, I don't want to send an email out to 700 people because that means I might get 1,500 to show up because the market's that that on fire. Mm-hmm. And that's not the same cost-benefit analysis we should be making in today's market. It's it's So, yeah, like you use the resources at your disposal. Make sure um, you're talking to uh, partners proactively about making sure, you know, it's never it's never a good sign when, um, someone helping you with with your marketing efforts isn't aware of an event that's going on either. But yeah, lessons other. lessons learned. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens this weekend with their opening. Do you think it was uh it was just about being overly confident, or do you think it was it was actually blocking so. and tackling not being done? I think it was a combo of the two. Because yeah, they, fair. yeah, there's only 14 homes. They do have this huge list. They have 19 people on the priority list that are pre-qualified, ready to go. So I think that they were confident that those 19 people would come and fall in love with the homes and go from there. But man, our transition game is on point at the beginning of this show um, because one of my story time pieces was I had a gentleman reach out to me on Twitter um, who is apparently lives in Florida, is a big crypto, um, he works in cryptocurrencies. And he was like, hey, I'm on an interest list for this community in Florida. And if the home builder reaches out to me and says, you're up, it's your turn to buy, what should I do? What should I say? <laughs> I was like, that's a very interesting, qu- I'm, obviously I need to know more about your situation. He's like, well, we could totally wait you know, six to nine months if you think the market's going to turn then. But I just think a recession's coming and I work in crypto and crypto's worth half of what it was a couple of weeks ago, interest rates are going higher. And I just feel like all this is going to be a, a tipping point. And so again, fr- from one story to another here, Samantha, you're talking about someone who's on that priority list with a builder has given them money. He, he told me the name of the builder, looked at the community and he's like, I'm just waiting for them to call me and say, you're up. And it's just one story, but he's saying, I don't think I'm going to go forward when they call me because I think prices are going to go down imminently. Now, ultimately what I ended up telling him is if you're going to play that game and timing the market for, for housing is never, almost never works out well. 
I was talking to Rob Hahn prior to hit and record on that last episode. And he had a friend who sold his house, I think in May of 2020, thinking this is the peak. <laughs> and I'm going to rent for a year or two. And he calculated something like $250,000 lost in, in trying to time that market change. Uh, and it's even worse because the money he took out, where is he going to put it? While he's renting, it was sitting in cash also due to inflation becoming less uh, powerful. And so you got to be careful. I just said, if if you think you can wait for up to two years, then then maybe you wait. But if you think you're going to live in that house for five years or longer, just kind of what I was saying before, if you want to negotiate, by all means negotiate, and the builder may be more likely to want to do that now but you're going to have to come with specific reasons or, and it was also interesting talking to him. He's like, well, I'm going to pay cash. And I said, that's not necessarily going to help you if you're trying to negotiate, you know, the builder wants to use their in-house financing. And so even if you pay mostly cash or put down a lot of money, that'd be better if you're trying to negotiate something on their end, because if you just pay cash and their, their preferred lender is not being used, a lot of times they won't give you uh, a same incentive. Anyway, it was just, one little story of someone who was on an interest list and had been waiting for a long time and was really excited to get the call until about a week ago. And now they're hoping they don't get a call because they don't want to make a decision <laughs> right now. Another thing uh, for story time is this article from money.yahoo.com, which says mortgage rates rise again with 6% a possibility, uh, dated Thursday, May 12th. So I don't want to be right on that prediction, but it, it's looking more and more like I may be right that by the end of May, we get to 6%. My last, I got two, two other quick story time things. One is a, a thread that I put on Twitter where I said, everyone breathe into a brown paper bag for a second. Uh, those price reductions, because on Twitter, people were talking about on Redfin that there was a ton of price reductions coming out. And that must be a sign that the market is turning and home prices are about to pop. And so my response was, those price reductions on used home listings are not signs of a crash. They are a sign that we are shifting from availability matters more than price. And that's really what I think has been happening is people, people's primary concern is, is that a home I can buy? Okay, then we'll, we'll make a crazy offer on it as long as we can get it. So availability used to matter more than price. And as pricing has gone up and interest rates have gone up and the market conditions are doing what they're doing and the stock market is doing what, they're, what it's doing, we're shifting back to a price is more important than availability. I mean, just because that home's available, I'm not going to throw an ungodly amount of money on it. The price value proposition has to make sense, not just be overly excited about availability only. And then as one of my examples, I showed that what's happening. So this house was listed for sale originally uh, on April 15th of this year for $495. A week later, the price was increased to $555,000, a 12% increase. And then on May 3rd, it was reduced by five and a half percent to 525. So we still, we're not going down on, on prices uh, is my point. And another, I found another one in, uh, in California. This one cracked me up even more. The house most recently sold in August of 2020 for $4.1 million. It was listed for sale for 8.1 million uh, in September of 21. Price has been reduced twice once in February of this year to 7.9 million, a three and a half percent reduction. And then again in May by a thousand dollars. So 
But still, the price is not going down. The bubble is not popping. It was last sold for 4.1 million and the current price after reductions is 7.8. Like th these are not signs of a market <laughs> bubble popping. These are just a sign of, of sellers starting to be, I wouldn't even say realistic yet. They're just understanding that their made up price might not be what the home is worth. And again, that goes back to availability being less important than price value proposition. And then the last one I want to leave you with is Chris Smith from Curator, writer of Conversion Code. We've talked about him before and I've interacted with him through a couple different means over the years, but he, he came out with a great quote that I, I thought makes most uh, sense. And what I'm really concerned about actually, historically over the last three years, I would say sales and marketing have worked pretty well together. You know, when the pandemic hit, Marketing departments adjusted, shifted, sales departments adjusted and shifted on how they worked and everyone kind of did what they needed to do to make things work. But over the last two to three weeks, as things are starting to just now get a little bit harder, um, we've had some instances where sales and marketing are starting to go in different directions or point fingers at each other when just a couple of weeks ago, things were more cohesive. And that's concerning. So I thought this, this quote hopefully can help put everything into perspective if marketing people had to call the leads they generate, they'd fire themselves. If salespeople were in charge of generating all of the leads, companies would go out of business. The sooner we can work together, the better. And what, what I just keep hearing more of from salespeople is, well, marketing just needs to get me more leads and that is their responsibility. And I just got off a coaching call with someone and they're relatively new, two to three years in the business. And I said, hey, back in prehistoric times, like 2005, 2006, it used to be roughly a third, a third, and a third is what the salespeople were trained on. A third of your leads are going to come from corporate marketing efforts. A third of your leads in a month should come from referrals. And a third should come from realtors. And so when you do the math on that, two thirds of it is responsibility of the salesperson. Now, I've argued really ever since about 2010 that th those ratios don't work. It's really more like 70-30 in today's world where 70% of leads are coming from corporate marketing efforts uh, and between realtors and referrals, maybe 30%. However, if you don't sell anything in a month, the 70-30 ratio still applies, meaning it's not only marketing's fault. You know, sales and marketing still have to work together. A and ultimately, I'm working on a blog post for the site about this, but I, I got to be careful how I word it. Ultimately, I think the biggest responsibility sits with leadership and ownership on this end. And I say that from my experience, both as a regional manager at NPR and, and um, a VP of sales and marketing at Heartland. If the, if you're not willing to adjust anything in the other direction as the market shifts as an owner, meaning I know my house is 120 grand over what all of the comps and competitors are doing, but I just think that's what it's worth or that's what we'll get. Well, then there's only so much that the rest of your organization can do. And so again, I just think it's going to be interesting to watch as things get tougher We've got sales and marketing starting to point fingers at each other. Sometimes in some cases, we've got owners pointing fingers at both sales and marketing. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, no, who, who picked the floor plans? Who picked the pricing? Who, who determined? Um, and again, a lot of that's been driven off costs. And so we have to balance all these things out. I'm just saying 
we need leaders to lead right now. And that's what's really surprising is you can see the leading indicators um, getting more challenging. But so far, there's kind of this belief that supply and demand are where they are and nothing needs to be done yet. And that's why I told this person from Twitter to, to put a bow on this story time that's meandering is I said, I don't think builders overall are going to panic until the spring market of 2023. Even if things get tough, backlogs are full. This is typically a slower time of the year from this point on anyway. I think there's some internal narratives that companies can tell themselves about how it's all going to be better. It's really going to be if spring 2023, the market doesn't return with some power, that people will panic and, and start discounting and, and doing other crazy things. So I wouldn't be, I don't think in the next six months you're going to get any big price decreases promoted, uh, I would say. Anyway, it's just, it's continuing to move and evolve, but I, I just am surprised that the number of leaders who are like, no, I mean, I know I've got 300 homes under construction that aren't sold, but I think when I'll finish, they'll sell them for whatever price I want, or we'll just figure it out. <laughs> That's kind of unsettling. There's a lot. Sorry, there's a lot. It actually, I, I'm going to tie back in a lot on a, a Zonda thing again. They they had mentioned like psychology plays a big part too, and people feeling comfortable. And mm -hmm. they they were talking about how they are actually tracking um, news articles and how the home building industry is being propositioned to people. And because once it does kind of turn negative, it it mass waves. It gets in people's heads and they don't make decisions. And at this moment, they said they it is still trending positively for a home buying experience, even with higher interest rates. And so, um, I think when when you know, and that's why we work with so many builders. Like we can feel it in the market maybe faster than the individuals mm -hmm. maybe feel a little more isolated. And so I think just understanding that too, and what you're seeing in the news is, but also potential buyers are seeing in the news and, and how you're feeling might be um, yeah. extra, but. And, and that's why I brought up the price reduction thing is if you're not paying attention to that and your sales per team is not prepared for that. And they've got people walking their doors saying, well, I just got 20 price reduction alerts from Redfin or Zillow or whoever else yesterday. So why aren't you, why aren't you discounting? You got to dig in one step further and say, well, let's look at a couple of those. Oh, look here. Like they're still asking for 300 grand more than they bought the house for a week ago. Yeah. We, we <laughs> Is had that a really a price reduction. We had a trick up our sleeves where um, if our competitors would drop the price, we're like, oh, something must be wrong with that house, huh? And then like, let them go, oh my God, you're right. And, and mm -hmm. overthink it. So uh, yep. anyone can steal that. Go for it. Yep. So. All right. And now a quick word from our supporting partner, Opendoor. Not taking contingencies, Opendoor creates more opportunity by sending customers a preliminary offer within minutes. Plus, as a builder sales associate, you can provide a flexible close date to help customers avoid double moves and mortgages by closing anytime from 14 days to nine months. Go to opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn more about how you can partner with Opendoor. All right. First up from the news. 2022 Market Proof Awards are about to launch or have launched, depending on when this episode goes out. Uh, this is the second year for these awards. Just a couple quick reminders. All proceeds go to charity. They're data-driven, so small builders can compete equally against large builders. The amount of your budget or the size of your company doesn't matter. We're looking at how innovative uh, you're, you're doing in the different categories and how the data supports that. So this is where percentages can help the small builders compete against the large builders because you might only increase sales by five, 
But if your average sales rate was five, you just doubled your sales rate doing what you what you did. Uh, we have some new online sales categories as well. Uh, we got new judges. Uh, almost all of the judges are winners of last year's awards as well. So these are folks who have already been through the process and and know what to look for and have, and have already proven to be respected uh, by their peers. Do you convert? Employees do not judge uh, any entries. We just manage the process, but we don't do any judging ourselves. So it's completely um, unbiased in that sense. Go to marketproofawards.com, link in the show notes. And winners will be announced at this year's 2022 summit. And you do not need to be present to win. Uh, we'll make sure you get your award. But if you're in person, you get the applause of, of hundreds of your peers <laughs> and some fun conversation at the cocktail reception. So uh, again, marketproofawards.com to check out more information on that. And next up from builderonline.com, how to navigate the timing and adoption of new sales technologies. Three of the worst reasons to invest in technology, according to some crazy person named Kevin Oakley. Uh, so this is a uh, newest article out from Builder uh, that I wrote. And it just talking through the fact that timing matters. And I think people... You know, we, we all want to do things that are easy and impactful at the same time. And if I had to summarize the article, it would be that picking technology before fully understanding the innovation, like the flow. You think about a, a customer journey map or a data flow diagram for those of you IT majors in college. Um, if you don't have a way to visually understand and, and show the process without using technology, then what's the hurry to go ahead and get technology? Like, Because are you buying the technology to make your process better, more efficient, cheaper, more consistent for one of those reasons? Or are you buying technology that has a process that you can't control or might be different than culturally or, or strategically the way your organization wants to do something? So really just thinking through like, number point number one was, is the existing process already successful? So that's, that's awesome. Like if you've already got this great process, then will adding technology free up time and energy from mundane tasks in order for your team members to deliver a more human experience? We're trying to get human margin, not just reduce cost or make things faster. Um, so there, we, we link in the show notes, go through the article, but that, if I, if I was going to too long, didn't read, it is that you can innovate without technology using humans and I just wrote my next article already and sent it in. So quick sneak, sneak peek is I, I did analysis of, of Nike. Nike has 73,000 employees worldwide. They sell 1,500 pairs of shoes every minute. And that means according to data that is publicly available, and I cited all the sources in the article, but I'm not going to do it here on the podcast. That means roughly 50,000 people are considering purchasing Nike shoes every minute. They have like a three... I think it was 3.2 or 3.8% conversion rate uh, on their website. So that's just talking digital channel. Um, there's 50,000, let alone all the retail things. So think about this. There is no chat option on Nike.com. There is no easy way to interact with a human and say, I have a question about this shoe. It's just, here's a picture. Here are the sizes. Do you want to buy it or not? Now, that's more understandable because of the volume we're talking about. But then what I did is I took Toll Brothers, who I'm not picking on Toll Brothers. It was just a, it, they're a well-respected name, good brand. And when you, when I did the math on 
their total closing number for 2021 in the Builder 100 list that just got published. Based upon some industry averages, my hunch is that means that they would have gotten 200 to 250 quality leads over the course of the year. Now that breaks down to one lead every two minutes versus selling 1,500 shoes every one minute and 50,000 people considering it. And my point is this, is, this is kind of still the peak of the market. So let's say that things slow down in 2023. Now you're going to go from one lead every two minutes to one lead every 10 minutes, maybe every 15 minutes. What, what is it going to be? My point is we can solve some of these problems with human beings that we're trying to use technology for. And it doesn't mean you use humans forever, but you use humans to figure out what that good, better process is and then figure out how we apply technology to it to make it, again, more consistent, cheaper, uh, free up time for the team. But technology has within it, if you just go buy something off the shelf, a built-in process that you don't necessarily think about when you're saying, I just want to buy that, that tool. But there's a process or, or a sequence that, that that technology is using to run itself. And if that's not aligned with how you want to do things, you can end up stuck. All right. Whew. Thanks, everyone, for indulging me. I don't know where I must be highly caffeinated or something. I'm just, uh, I got a lot to say. Next up from Builder Online is again, meeting demand, the 2020 Builder 100, next 100, the top home building firms had to overcome a slew of hurdles in 2021 to keep up with market frenzy. Yeah. The top 10 is still pretty consistent, mm. but a lot of movement in those other places from people who are innovating or growing because of what they're, they're choosing to do within the market conditions. I was interesting. They said that, um, the Builder 100, Next 100 firms accounted for, in total, roughly 493,000 homes. 493,000 new homes. That's a, lot. that's a lot in 2021. And that's a 12% increase over 2020. So again, the big builders, the ones who are executing, are getting, continuing to getting more market share, more market share. And that's always the opportunity in an up-moving market. In a down-moving market, that's where the medium and small builders oftentimes can outmaneuver the large ones and claw market share back because they can be a little bit more nimble. So I believe, I haven't checked this for a while, but I think roughly 55 of the companies that we work with are in that top 150 uh, range. So a lot of, a lot of folks on that, that list are, are partners of ours. Kudos to everyone who made it. Yeah. And next up from CNBC.com, housing supply is finally improving as high prices and rising rates weigh on sales. So uh, supply of homes for sale is finally showing signs of improvement according to new data from Realtor.com. In April, inventory was 12% lower than the year earlier month, the smallest year-over-year decline since the end of 2019. The shift in supply is likely due to a slower sales pace stemming from the recent rapid increase in mortgage rates. And the number of active listings, though, is still down 67% from pre-pandemic levels. So, I mean, great. We got, we got more homes available um, for people to purchase, but we're still 67% down mm-hmm. from pre-pandemic levels. And that was, it's not in this article, but I shared it on LinkedIn and other places. CNBC had another article that said that um, fewer people have been moving over the, over the last couple of years. And, I, and, and, and also that people moving from one state to another as a percentage of those have been declining. People are moving more locally than they have been and also moving less. And I thought that was just completely counterintuitive to what most narratives have been of everyone who can move is trying to move 
uh, right now. And I, when I posted, a lot of people replied from like, this doesn't make sense in my market. And, and certainly it's not going to be everywhere, but that's according to the census data, if it's trustworthy. Um, I just thought that was also interesting, but a lot of it might just be that there's not enough homes to move into. I mean, 67% decline. That's, that's still. Yeah. The Zonda chart did a really good year over year last few years. And it was just like, just a crazy difference between um, what had been available and what is available too. So I think when you do see that and, and things do start to get normal, I think people, not, not to say they freak out, but it's like, no, 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 we're, we might be returning to normal levels. Like it's anticipated. And, and even if new homes do come available on the market, I think we're still solving like the problem of home availability because what you're saying, even if homes are available, I don't think the ones that are maybe going for sale right now are what people want to be buying. And so more people still might be moving into new home purchases. They have limited, severely limited options. Yep. Yep. Perfect. And the last one from SE Roundtable, Search Engine Roundtable, uh, Google tests new ad format with swipeable image carousel. Oh, the carousel ad makes us, you know, just like every, you know, Reels makes its way around every social mm -hmm. network. The carousel ad is finally uh, here for Google, <laughs> which, um, you know, in a mobile first world makes sense. I don't think there's anything negative, but uh, they seem to be testing a new search ad format that has really large images that you can swipe through and learn more about. The ads when clicked on expand to show you a large image with the name of the product, the price, ratings, reviews, and a show now button. So continued innovation on the ad front again, um, if we had homes to sell, you, this would be a great inventory listing approach potentially. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I, I just feel like all the browsers and website options are kind of like merging into pretty easy. I remember, you know, it used to be like, here's the nine templates you need for all of the graphics. And now it's like, ah, square, throw it in. And uh, it just seems to be pretty consistent. But yeah, if this does roll out, um, it is something to consider, I think, for, um, yeah, inventory home marketing. But yep. No one we know is using it. A couple quick other items, some of which may not be quick, so I might have just lied. But a couple more items, then we'll we'll call it a show. Question of the week, uh, your responses to, to the question of the week that we posted. And then also Google Analytics 4. Lots of questions continuing to roll in about GA4 and being prepared for that. And we just a reminder, Andrew's working on a series of blog posts. He's also recording a podcast episode with two GA4 experts. Uh, that's going to be coming out uh, in a little bit. And then for those of you who are DYC partners, we're also going to be holding an internal webinar just for our partners to kind of let you um, ask questions, see examples, understand as much as possible for early June. So keep an eye on that. Really, until we hit the, the mid-June level, you've got until then to make sure it's all set up properly. And I think everyone's pretty confident that maintaining the type of data flow that we have from universal analytics into GA4 is not what's causing any delays in getting this stuff out here. We're just making sure that all the ways that GA4 will allow things to be better, we're taking maximum advantage of uh, out of the gate. Um, so more, more to come on that. Just stay tuned and uh, we'll make sure that, that, that you all make a good transition there on that. Okay. This is controversial. This week's question of the week, I, I guess. I didn't I just didn't know where people were going to sit on the topic. So my question was, um, how do you feel about paying per lead on syndication sites? Because this seems to be where all syndication sites either are going, already are, or would like to go to um, versus 
at having builders pay per uh, listing, per community, et cetera, switching to a paying per lead model. And the votes were not not even close. Um, out of the roughly 30 people who responded, uh, 22 uh, said, no, thank you. Uh, five said, eh, like what, whatever. I, I mean, I don't love it. I don't hate it. And one of you said you love it. But there was um, 20, 27 comments, some that went on for like pages um, at times. Some really interesting discussion here. So uh, because of the controversial nature, I don't, I don't really want to use names here, but obviously you can see their names if you go in the Facebook group and, and remember. So I'll just, I'll just read a couple of them and then I'd like to hear what, what you both, if you have any opinions on this. First comment was, I like paying a rate per amount of leads that I get. What I don't like is paying for some leads and then if I don't pay for the rest, they go to agents. The next one is, I don't like the idea of paying per leads and some leads suck, are bots or provided fake information. I like paying per community and having that include a listing for every plan and spec in that community. Um, again, lots of back and forth there. The next one here, potential cost savings aside, this model is too flawed to implement and I will die on this hill. Tell us how you really feel. Duplicate leads emitted only within the same community within 24 hours. John Smith could inquire about two communities one mile from each other and we are paying for him twice. John Smith could also already be in our system, so now we're paying for him three times. John Smith could also have a spouse who submitted a quick inquiry, and now we keep paying. Um, so continuing on, uh, I'm trying to find someone here who's, um, here's, here's some positives. It would depend, verification and quality of lead versus quantity. I always keep an open mind, willing to learn more. I've done it both ways. Uh, and then one more. There's not a clear cut best strategy, in my opinion, as with everything in marketing these days. It depends is the best answer, which I I mean, I, it depends is not my favorite answer, but I know it. I mean, every time you say those, I just think of adult underwear. Um, so I, <laughs> there's more context necessary to know the best answer, but I also, anyway, um, but here are some rhetorical questions to consider. Most of us optimize for cost per lead, cost per sale, or return on ad spend. You shouldn't ever do it based upon return on ad spend, in my opinion, but cost per lead, cost per sale. Why not negotiate a cost to buy demand? that more closely aligns to our desired end result. So I think this person is like, this is a discussion. It, it Even though the poll is yes, no, or maybe, like just negotiate with the person and, and make sure that it's providing the value that you're willing to pay. And if it doesn't, don't use the service is, is kind of their, their part. The, the impetus is on that person who's charging you per lead to provide high quality leads. And if they aren't, negotiate with them. Uh, or say, I'm sorry, this isn't working out and then, and then move on. But, uh, obviously a wide range on the discussion front, the poll was pretty one-sided, but either one of you have thoughts as former marketing managers for home builders. And I think the right answer for me is it's, it's per what you really need, but I just feel like I agree. Every option is kind of flawed. And so you're just trying to do what's best for you. And ideally, you know, different market avenues to get better quality leads. Um, and if they are already finding you online, that means they're a higher quality lead that'll be on, you'll get through a third party company. So, um, in terms of what that cost is and, and just understanding your range of cost per lead, and it falls within a healthy range. I, I say, you know, to each their own in terms of what decision they're going to make. Sam, any feedback? Yeah, I think with, it's interesting. Cause I know that some markets rely heavily on realtors, um, and builders don't always like that. They don't always work 
with realtors and give broker mm-hmm. commissions. So I think from that standpoint, they don't want their leads going to those brokers because those brokers won't take them to their communities, especially if they don't work with realtors. But I think for the ones that are very realtor friendly, it'll kind of help them a little bit, but I'm not a fan of the pay per lead scenario. I, I think it, uh, it always comes down to what are the final results you're seeing in terms of sales uh, and, and, and appointments, but, but mostly sales from those lead sources. So I, I agree with the one individual who was kind of saying negotiate because if it's working, then the cost per lead may be irrelevant. If you're selling enough homes from that source, mm-hmm. the cost per lead, again, might, might be a, a value, might be a steal uh, in comparison to another format that you that you worked. I think um, if you don't need leads, this is this is the hard part. There's builders who, who would say, I don't need lead volume, but I want the exposure. I don't know what I would say to that person other than exposure should lead you to something, right? So why, <laughs> if you were happy to pay per community and, or per listing, but you don't need the leads, why are you paying per listing or per community either? So that, that one kind of, I don't, I don't fully understand that argument of like, I don't need the leads. So I wish I could just do community. And I guess maybe it is Samantha to your point. It's just, I don't want those going to realtors um, because then that might cost me more in the long run or help a competitor if the realtor takes them somewhere else. But it's complicated. And and the other thing I would say is, is just, this is where the industry is going. Um, It's, it's where the general real estate world uh, in terms of new uh, existing homes is going, it's where new construction is going, and it's gonna it's gonna make you think through these things. So um, I, I think even though the poll is one sided, the the question is not yet answered. <laughs> more more to come. Uh, it's something I think we're gonna. I, I I really hope I can get together a panel uh, for the summit of uh, of Open Door Zillow. Uh, and, and Zonda just as three companies using technology in the space to kind of just talk more openly about how things are changing and transforming. I think that'd be, I think that'd be an awesome panel to have. Everyone listening. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, but come, come on. That's right. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. We'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.